0: It's an honor and privilege to stand here today uh, before you as we worship the one true God. Uh, my name is Rick Recebo, and I too am typically sitting where you are, uh, listening and taking notes. Uh, but Stephen Mick asked me if I would be willing to deliver one of the sermons around Victor's trip to Ethiopia. Uh, Stephen, I don't know if you remember, um, but I don't think you told me Victor would be back. Um, <laughs> But in all fairness to you, I was supposed to go last week and on my request, we switched the order. So uh, be careful what you ask for. Uh, You just might get it. Uh, But this series has caused much soul searching for me. Uh, I hope it's done the same for you. Uh, Stephen started out two weeks ago in Matthew 22. uh, And in Matthew 22, we read that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his answers to their questions. Uh, In fact, they decided after this day that they would just quit asking him questions. There was another group, the Pharisees, and they too were a group of religious leaders. And they were trying, like the Sadducees, to entrap Jesus uh, in his words. So they put forth one of their own, an expert in the Jewish law, to ask Jesus a question. And they thought surely this question would trip him up. And the question was, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now Jesus gave them the answer and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we are to love God first, best and most. But how do we know if we really do? That's the question Stephen posed to us two weeks ago. He taught us that it makes sense to love God for who he is, what he says, and what he's done. But if we do love God first, best, and most, then there should be evidence, right? There should be evidence in our lives, both external evidence and internal evidence. Now, the internal evidence is only something that you and God can see, but the external evidence is a different story. Others can see that. Josh last week taught us that prayer and fasting are evidence that we love God. Assuming, of course, that we do these to be seen by him and not to be praised by others. As with last week's message, we too today are going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at giving to the needy. Giving to the needy is a perfect example of external evidence in a person's life that they love God. And if we love God first, best, and most, then Jesus says something should be evident in our lives. Namely, giving to the needy so matthew chapters 5 6 and 7 are what's typically known as the sermon on the mount it's simply called that because the chapter 5 a chapter ahead of where we're going to be today it opens by saying seeing the crowds jesus uh went up on a mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them so it's called a sermon on the mount because jesus was on a mountain go figure so This mountain would have been in the region of Galilee near the Sea of Galilee in the town of Capernaum where Jesus spent much of his earthly ministry. And in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, we come to a very great example of an external way to tell if we truly love God. If you would, please stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're gonna be reading Matthew chapter six, verses one through four. So on the screen, if you wanna follow along or you can follow in a copy of God's word that you have with you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Please be seated. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we come to you today as your disciples, your followers, as you taught your disciples on the mountain, we ask that you also teach us gathered here together to get today to honor your name. We ask that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand. We ask that you stir us up into action to go to the people around us and give to them just as you have given to us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray, amen. So our passage is short for today, four verses, but what does it mean? Uh, Stephen pointed out that each passage in scripture has one meaning. Now, that one meaning has endless ways for us to apply it into our lives, but it does have a single meaning. I believe that the passage for today simply means that when we give to the needy, we should do so because we love God and we love our neighbors, not for any other reason. When you come to any passage in scripture, it's very helpful to ask questions of the passage. You ask questions to help you better understand what it means. And then once you've searched out the biblical answers to those questions, you can move on to the next step, which is what should I do in my life as a result of what the Lord is teaching me in his word? So let's do that today. Let's ask three questions of this text. The three questions we're gonna look at are this, why should we give, to whom shall we give, and how should we give? So why should we give, to whom shall we give, and how should we give? We're gonna attempt to answer these three to better understand the word of our Lord. So let's get started. Question number one, why should we give? Notice that Jesus begins with a warning. The very first word is beware. Now we all know that beware is a word of caution. If we look it up in the dictionary, uh, we will find that it's a verb. And if you're like me, you haven't been in an English class in quite some time, you might need to be reminded that a verb is an action word. It's something that we do. The word beware means to be cautious and alert to the dangers. So we might ask ourselves, really dangers? giving to the needy? How can that be dangerous? Initially, we might think that, well, if I gave to a homeless man, I might run the risk of being robbed. Or if I give to that needy family member, they may never quit asking me for a handout. But this is not at all what Jesus is warning us about. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The words, in order to, are the key to understanding the warning. The warning is not concerning physical harm or loss. It's actually much more serious than that. The reason is the motivation for why we give to another person in the first place. The warning is about our heart attitude is to why we're giving something to another human being. Remember, we're attempting to answer the initial question, why do we give? Jesus warns us about giving for the wrong reason, and then he goes on to point us to the right reason to give. We ultimately give not to be seen by other people, but to be seen by our Heavenly Father. Ultimately, our answer lies in the most important command discussed in this room 14 days ago. We give out of our love for Almighty God. For us to love the one true God makes, makes a lot of sense. It makes sense because of who he is, what he says, and what he's done. But for me, I think the step of why do we give is one step further than where we are to currently. To me, the root cause of why we give is out of our love for God because of what he has done. You see, my friends, we give because he gave. This is the answer to the question, why do we give? Simply stated, we give because he gave. But what has God done? What has he given? Or not what has he given, but whom has he given? One of the most well-known sentences in all the Bible, if not the most well-known, starts out, for God so loved the world that he gave. Right in the middle of the sentence, we read about God's love for us Demonstrated by God doing something, by giving something, by giving someone. We next read who God gave. He gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus says of himself, he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to give his life, as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is our example. Jesus is the one we follow. He's the one we emulate. His spirit leads us to become more and more like him. You see, we give because he gave. Now that we've answered the all important question, why we give, we'll turn our attention to this question number two, to whom do we give? And this moves us from internal evidence that we love God to external evidence that we love God. Notice Jesus says, when you give. He doesn't say if you give, but when you give. So if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus and you do not currently give of your time, your talents, and your treasures, then I urge you to ask yourself why you do not. We're answering three questions today, but we're intentionally skipping over the question, when do you give? Because it's a foregone conclusion that if you're in Christ, you're someone who gives to others. So I just urge you today, if you do not examine your life, if you look in the book of James, James tells us that we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So I caution you, do not only hear today's message and therefore be deceived but instead hear and go do, becoming a doer of the word. So our second question is, to whom do we give? And Jesus simply calls the recipient of the giving in this passage, the needy. Now, when we read the needy, uh, if you're like me, uh, I picture someone, right? You might picture someone uh, that you've seen and you don't know, but they need physical food, shelter, clothing. Or you might even picture someone that you actually know in your life that's in this situation. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think probably that's who Jesus had in mind when he talked of the needy. But one thing that you can do in a passage like this that really helps you change your perspective on yourself and those around you is instead of picturing someone else as the needy, picture yourself, right? Instead of picturing picturing somebody you don't know, Think of yourself as a needy, but don't think of yourself as someone with physical needs, right? Food, shelter, clothing. Picture yourself as someone with spiritual needs. And any person on earth, including each one of us, has one spiritual need that far greatly exceeds all others. And that one spiritual need is to be in a right relationship with our creator. The need to go from our default position which is a weak, sinful enemy of Almighty God, to be transformed from there into a child of God, to be adopted by his grace through our faith in Christ, Jesus himself being the one and only solution to this spiritual problem. Jesus in this passage states at the very beginning, uh, practicing your righteousness. Now, righteousness sounds like a big complicated word, but really it just means to be in right standing with God or to be in a right relationship with God. In Romans 4, it says our faith is counted as righteousness. Second Corinthians says for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So faith in Christ results in a right standing or a right relationship with God. When a person places their faith in Christ, the sin of that individual is given to Jesus and his perfect righteousness is given to the sinner. It's the great exchange. We're given the gift of righteousness or right relationship in exchange for our sin. And this is based on faith, based on belief, not based on our works. So when we think of ourselves, when we picture ourselves in need of spiritual healing, then it becomes easy for us to see who are the needy? The needy is anyone and everyone in our lives who needs Christ, right? They need the same thing we need. They need the good news of how much God loves us. They need the good news of what God has done. They need the good news of what God has given us by giving us his son. We give to others because what has already been given to us, and as we picture ourselves as needy in this passage, we will begin to see needy people all around us. Just like Peter in Acts chapter three, who encountered a man that had been lame from birth. The man was begging Peter for money. Peter looked at him and he said, "'I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, "'I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, "'rise up and walk.'" The man not only stood up and walked, but he began leaping, praising God. Now the man just asked for money, but what he was given was far greater. Money would have helped him, but it wouldn't have changed his life. He was healed spiritually and physically and his life was forever changed. So we must always give to the needy in light of the gospel. We must address both spiritual and physical needs. Now that doesn't mean we ignore people's physical needs. Our giving to satisfy physical needs is gonna be short-lived if it, not, if it doesn't meet their eternal spiritual needs. But that doesn't mean we ignore the physical needs. It's quite the opposite. To quote from James again, James says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Matthew 25 is another place where we see the Lord emphasize that we give because he gave. In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples about what will take place when he comes back after his second coming. Uh, At the final judgment, Jesus says he's going to separate all people into two groups as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. One group who've placed their faith in Christ in this life will be commended by Jesus. He says they are blessed by his father. And then he goes on to tell them why they are blessed. He said the reason they're blessed is because they they gave. He said that they gave him food when he was hungry, drink when he was thirsty. They welcomed him when he was a stranger. They clothed him when he was naked. They visited him when he was sick and in prison. And notice each of these is an act addressing a physical need. But then this group questions the Lord. They said, oh, time out. When, When did we do all these things? And Jesus responds to them and says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So when we give to the needy, it is as if we are giving to Christ. But Jesus doesn't end there. He then addresses the other group, the goats. These are the people who did not place their faith in Christ in their earthly lives. And he condemns them. And he condemns them because they did not do these acts of generosity. So while we focus on the gospel, we don't stop with the gospel, we start with the gospel. We must carry through by giving people the things that they need physically, food, water, clothing, shelter, our time, visiting them. There are needy all around us. There are people in need of salvation and in need of physical help. And so now we've answered the first two questions. We've answered the question, why we give? We give because he gave. We've answered the question, to whom do we give? We give to the needy, both those with spiritual and physical needs. And our third and final question is, how do we give? So Jesus paints the wrong way to go about giving to the needy and the right way to go about giving to the needy. And he begins warning that the reason for giving to the needy should never be to be seen by others or to be praised by others. And he cites an example. He he just says, don't do like the hypocrites do. So we probably should figure out who he's talking about. Who are the hypocrites? So if you investigate in the book of Matthew, you quickly realize that Jesus oftentimes gave this term hypocrites to the religious leaders. In fact, uh, this word is used 18 times in the Bible. 13 of them are used in Matthew, eight of which directly apply to the religious leaders, those Sadducees and Pharisees that we started out with. And there are other places in Matthew where Jesus explains why he calls them hypocrites. He says that they preach, but do not practice. In other words, they talk the talk, but they did not walk the walk. Or to use the words uh, that James uses, they were hearers of the word, but they were not doers of the word. Jesus said that they did all their deeds to be seen by others. He said outwardly, they appeared righteous to others, but within they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now remember, Jesus knows the heart of man. So he saw that there was a lack of internal evidence of a love for God. He knew that they were not helping the needy because they love God. Quite contrary, they were helping the needy because they love to be praised by others. But that's not how we should love God. If we love God first, best, and most, then we should give to others in the same way Jesus gave to us. You see, Jesus as God loved us and Jesus as the son loved his heavenly father. So Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many as a result of his love for God and his love for us. Jesus in doing this satisfied the great commandment and the second great commandment in giving his life to take away the sin of the world. So too, we should give because we love God and we love others not because we want to be praised by others. Jesus said when we give that we shouldn't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing so that our giving may be in secret. In other words, we can test the true motive of our giving. We can ask questions of ourselves like, would I still give if no person on earth would ever know that I gave? Would I still give if even the recipient did not know where the help came from? Would I still give if God and God alone was the only one who would ever know? I'm gonna share a personal example with you. Um, so I think our church does a great job of meal trains. Uh, we typically do those if someone has been in the hospital or lost a loved one, right? We sign up for a list and we take them a meal. Lori and I have been recipients uh, of your generosity and received meals, and we've also participated in given meals. So this was years ago, uh, a young family had a child, Uh, and we signed up to take them a meal. And they don't live here anymore, so uh, I'm not gonna name them, but uh, Lori and I really pulled out all the stops. I mean, we made like this gourmet meal. I don't remember exactly what we made, but I just remember, man, this is awesome. We took it to them, we saw the baby, we visited with the family, uh, and then we left. And we saw them here a week or two later. And I remember having a great anticipation to hear from them how good the meal was. I mean, I knew how good it was because, you know, when you do that, you usually make a little extra and keep some for yourself. Um, And it was really good. And I just couldn't wait for them to tell me how good it was. And in God's grace, they never said a word about it. Uh, They still to this day have not mentioned it. And what I noticed, what the Lord taught me in that moment is really the reason I was giddy about giving them a meal was to hear from them how good it was, right? I wanted to hear from them and be praised by them more than I was doing it out of love for God or out of a love for my neighbor. But when we truly give because he gave, then as a result of, or if we give because he gave, we're giving as a result of love. And then we simply don't care what other people have to say about it. They can say thank you or they can say nothing at all because the reason we're giving is out of love and love does not need to be praised because love is not self-seeking. In Matthew six, Jesus gives us three examples of evidence that we love God, giving, praying, and fasting. And he explains we can give, pray, and fast to be seen by others or because we love God. But in each case, he tells us we will receive a reward. Either the reward will be praise from other people or a reward from our heavenly father. If we truly love God, if we've been born again, then we realize we've already been given a reward in Christ Jesus, of which there is no comparison. Jesus, if we're in Christ, we've been given eternal life, and he defines what that is. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We give because we realize the reward we've been given in Christ. We've been given a right relationship with our creator, our heavenly father and this right relationship will last forever and ever we've been placed into a personal relationship with the father of glory whose love for us is deeper than the ocean brighter than the sun wider than the universe longer lasting than time itself and while we have already received this reward if we're in christ jesus repeatedly states whether it be giving praying or fasting that we will receive a reward in future tense. So what could this mean? Then we come to a passage in Acts that states, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we're in Christ Jesus, we've already received an eternal reward. But when we give to the needy, we also will be rewarded in that moment. And the reward is a deep, soul-satisfying awareness of the love that God has for us. This love God has for us flows through us to the needy around us. Our love for God meets his love for us in an act of love to another human being. In this action of giving to the needy, we receive a reward of the fuller knowledge of God's love for us, which far surpasses anything on this earth. To wrap it up, we should give because he gave. We recognize that the needy are all around us, those who need Jesus. We also recognize that giving our time, our talents, our treasures to help people in need should always be done in order to praise God and point people to the one who has been given for us. And of utmost importance, we give because of our love for God. Our giving to the needy is external evidence of the internal love we have for our Heavenly Father. And I want to end with a, with a story of this being played out in real life in modern day. So this story was shared with me by a senior pastor at a church in Leak City, Texas. And if you don't know, that's kind of on the southeast side of Houston. And at this point in time, there was a man that everybody around that area knew uh, because he was homeless, and he always stood on the same street corner, day in and day out. And this pastor has children and one of his daughters, uh, she wanted to do something kind for this gentleman. And so the pastor, like any other dad who's trying to disciple his children, saw this as a wonderful opportunity, not only to put this, uh, the words of Jesus into practice for his own life, but for his daughter as well. So they came up with a plan and their plan was to buy him lunch. So I think it was a Subway sandwich or something like that. They bought him lunch, they parked the car, they went, they talked to him, they met him, introduced themselves, prayed with him gave him the lunch, and then they moved on. And then the pastor kept telling the story and he kind of changed his demeanor and he started looking down a little bit. And he said that at this same point in time, even though he wasn't aware of it, there was a lady in his congregation who also wanted to do something kind for this guy. But she took a little bit different approach. She decided she was gonna try to get to know him. So over the course of time, she started to develop a relationship with this individual. And through this conversation and relationship building, she was able to discover why he stood on the same street corner day after day, week after week, month after month. You see the man was waiting for his mother to come and pick him up. Now his mom had long since been deceased. She discovered that he had a legitimate medical condition that affected how he thought. And he thought his mom was coming to pick him up when she never was gonna do that. So the lady sought out medical uh, help for him. She took him to an appointment that she had set up and he was able to be diagnosed uh, and treated and his thinking was able to be cleared up. But she didn't stop there. Uh, See, this lady owns a catering business and so she then hired this gentleman. Now, the point of telling the story uh, was not self-condemnation on the part of the pastor. What he and his daughter did was a great thing. It was a notable act of giving. But giving the man a sandwich didn't change his life. The lady changed his life for the better. If we're in Christ, he has changed our lives forever. Our giving to others should have at its goal to dramatically, eternally change a person's life for the better. Now, this is a fantastic modern day example of giving because Jesus gave. And I appreciate your, uh, your patience uh, and your attention as we invite the musicians back to the stage, I would just ask you uh, to respond to the Lord however He's moved in your heart, whether it would be today's message, last week, uh, two weeks ago, um, or something completely outside of any service you've been to. Um, Josh mentioned this last week, and I would ask you to heed the words found in the book of Hebrews. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. I would say instead, respond to the Lord. So we're going to have a time of invitation. Uh, I'll ask Pastor Victor to join me down front. If you want somebody to pray with you or for you, we're happy to do that. Pray where you are. um, Pray after you leave. But uh, if the Lord's touched your heart, I would just ask that you respond to him.